Well, good morning, church family. Everyone doing good this morning? Good, good. This, I hope you enjoyed some of you. Maybe a day off on Monday this past week, our, our nation celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And when I, I think about the impact that he made on our world, I am reminded of the power of a clear vision or a dream, as Dr. King called it. A vision is a picture of the future. And King's vision was a world where, where everyone of every race was treated equally and with love. And we see all those quotes that are shared on social media on, on Monday. But we have to be careful that we, that we don't sanitize the history of, of Dr. King. Y'all remember he was hated by a lot of people, right? Y'all remember there was a lot of controversy everywhere he went, right? It wasn't always a popular message. It wasn't always a message that was accepted. Because when the dream confronted the present reality of those times, and even our times, it meant drastic change. It meant spending government money and resources, passing new laws. It meant people had to give up privileges or ways of being that they enjoyed. I mean, some people, in the evil of their hearts, they preferred segregation. They preferred that their kids went to a different school. They had, to, they had to sacrifice that for this dream. They had, they had to get rid of that for this dream to become a reality, right? They had to, people had to look inside themselves and, and rid their heart of prejudice and hate. It meant that those who had benefited from policies that privileged white people, that they would have to give up privileges that they once enjoyed. It meant rectifying the wrongs that had been done financially or otherwise. And this is why King was hated by so many people, investigated by the FBI for a good portion of his life, and called a communist. I mean, he was hated. But for those who caught the vision, for those who caught the dream, it caused within, within them a deep drive and determination to close the gap between their present reality into the dream that Dr. King gave them. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, Ancient Past, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. And so far in the Lord's Prayer, if you're just joining us, we've, we've covered our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And today, we're taking the next two petitions of the prayer together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And I have to confess, I cannot do justice to this, <laughs> this one phrase in this sermon this morning, for people have written entire books on what the word kingdom means. What is the kingdom of God, and what are we praying for when we pray this in the Lord's Prayer? And I would submit to you that based on the teachings of Jesus Christ Himself, there's not just one picture, there's not just one analogy that is going to help you get the full sense of what kingdom means. Right? I mean, you go through the Gospels, and Jesus has given all kinds of parables and illustrations. The, the kingdom is like this. It's like a mustard seed or a, a woman who's mixing yeast in the dough. It's, it's all these different things, right? So I'm going to give you a few images, a few analogies today, but you must understand. The kingdom is like this beautiful mosaic of images and pictures and analogies and visions and dreams that tell us of God's vision for our world. And I think we should certainly be willing to give careful thought and study to what the kingdom is, because you could essentially say the kingdom of God, 
was Jesus' primary message. That's what the Scriptures say, right? Let's, let's look at a couple from Matthew 4. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So this is His main message. And then a few verses later, it says, He went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's Jesus' message. That's His billboard. The kingdom is arriving. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is among you. Jesus announces the kingdom of heaven is here. And I believe Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven because it's opposed to the kingdoms of the earth. It's coming in the midst of the kingdoms of the earth. And this means that God's rule, His his kingship over His people, it's being restored. It's available again. N.T. Wright says this was simply a Jewish way of talking about Israel's God becoming king. And when this God became, became king, the whole world, the world of space and time, would at last be put to right. The king is back, and he's putting things back the way they're supposed to be. And I think to get a a good grasp of this, we have to go a little bit back, not a little bit back, all the way back to the beginning of the story. You see, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they rejected God's gracious rule. And now, since then, the world has gone haywire in rebellion against God. And God calls a man named Abraham, who's going to restore God's blessing to the rest of the nations in the world. And the Lord will make this one nation a conduit of God's blessing to restore what was wrong with the world. This nation, later known as Israel, became slaves in Egypt, but God redeems them. He brings them out in the Exodus. He leads them into the wilderness, makes a covenant with them. And I think this is a key phrase in Exodus 19.6, God says this to them, "'You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation.'" You people, you're going to be my kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms all around us. And you're going to be priests, a kingdom of priests, people who represent me to the rest of the nations. You're going to mediate my presence to all the surrounding nations. So God's kingdom in the midst of the world. So then in Exodus, God gives the Ten Commandments, which we've discussed recently, and all kinds of other laws for enacting a just and good society. Uh, And it gives instructions for the tabernacle so that His presence can dwell among them. And this all makes possible, this, this kingdom, to be in the world. But later on, the people reject God as their king. Well, they've, they've been re- rebelling against Him pretty much constantly and coming back, rebelling. And then they said, no, we want a human king. Put a human king over us like the rest of the nations. See, now this kingdom is wanting to be like the other kingdoms. And so they're rejecting God as their king. And so from then on, the story is basically nearly one bad king after the next with a few exceptions. The people forsaking God, the people oppressing one another, committing grave sin and injustices, all kinds of wrong things. But God sends the prophets, and through the prophets, He promises a restoration, that God Himself is going to come back, and He's going to rule over them, and He's going to send them this new Davidic king that is going to rule the people and restore them as well. So God is going to become king through this Davidic servant, the Messiah, who would bring about the restoration of the kingdom of God, where justice, righteousness, and peace flourish under the wise, humble, and just rule of the king. 
And so when God rules as king, he puts things in order. He restores his will, as we pray, right? His will will be done when God rules. So the kingdom, in some sense, is God's rule, but it also includes the people of the kingdom, right? Back to Exodus 6. You're going to be for me a kingdom of priests. And so Scott McKnight says, for Jesus, kingdom would have meant the society of God's people flourishing in this world under Christ as king. In some sense, that's, that's the kingdom of God in broad terms. The kingdom is God ruling and restoring all things through His kingdom of priests who obey and do His will. I think one of the key texts in the Bible for understanding Jesus' vision of the kingdom is in Luke chapter 4. If you remember the story, this is when Jesus is in the synagogue of Nazareth. This is kind of His inauguration of His ministry. This is His setting the tone. This is, this is kind of His I have a dream speech. And He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This vision Jesus lays out here requires big change. Big change and sacrifice from the present reality in which He is preaching these words. If you remember from the prophet series that we were in last summer, call your minds back to that, uh, this last line, this this year of the Lord's favor uh, is connected to what's called in the Bible the year of Jubilee. The Jubilee was a once in every 50 years celebration that reversed all of the misfortunes and brokenness of people. All slaves or debt workers were released. All debts were forgiven like they were every seven years in the sabbatical year. And the people who had lost their land due to maybe their own decisions or due to misfortune, they were restored their ancestral land. This was a great restoration of societal decay and brokenness that was meant to alleviate debt and poverty, to stop oppression and, and to, to close the gap between the rich and the poor. It gave people their dignity back. It gave people their land, their ability to, to work and to produce what they needed to live. And so the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom He is bringing in, is inviting people into this kingdom of jubilee, that we're going to restore things. We're going to restore things to the way God intended. And that means we're going to start reversing the brokenness, the broken circumstances, the misfortunes and injustices that people face. So we're praying that that God's rule would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to to jump ahead to, to that phrase, and we're going to come back to thy will be done at the end. But let's look at what it means to say on earth as it is in heaven. Because that is, that is also a key to understanding what we're praying. As we said a, a week or two ago, that heaven is, is where God is in our universe. He's here in this creation, but He's in heaven, in the, the spiritual realm that we cannot see. And in heaven, God's will is completely done. And so Jesus' vision of the kingdom is for God's rule to come on earth as it is in heaven. And don't we think the gospel is often the opposite of that? 
And it's about me going to heaven when I die. And man, I, that's important. I'm, I want to go there. <laughs> we all want to go there. But the gospel of the kingdom is about heaven coming to earth. It's about God's rule, God's will coming on this earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus' ministry was about, friends. You know, I want to give you two pictures of heaven on earth just to stimulate some of our imaginations this morning. Uh, this one is from Micah chapter 4. It says, In the last days that they're going to beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Hallelujah. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's a vision. It's a dream of world peace. People not fighting each other, people not killing each other. Weapons of war turned into weapons of agriculture, tools tools of death turning into tools for life. It's an incredible reversal of what's going on. Let me give you one more. This is from Revelation 21. This is the Apostle John's vision of heaven literally coming to earth. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It says, Behold, I am making everything new. Friends, that's the dream. That's the vision of God's kingdom coming to earth. And in, in heaven, all that is broken, all that has caused our suffering, all that has caused us so much pain in this world, all that causes so much sickness and death, it's healed and, and no more when the kingdom comes. So when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying and then living under King Jesus to close the gap between the present reality of earth and the present reality of heaven. That's what we're praying, that that gap would be diminished in some part by our prayers and by our lives. And simply put, I think when you put all these images together, again, there's so many images of the kingdom, but for the sake of this sermon series, it's like we're asking for the fulfillment of everything we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. Think about it. We are praying for a world in which every person from every tribe, tongue, and nation hallows God's name and knows Him as their heavenly Father. We are praying for a world where all people will acknowledge and bow the knee to King Jesus and submit to His will for their lives. We are praying for a world where everyone has daily bread, where all needs are met, where homelessness and poverty and hunger and thirst are no more. We are praying for a world where all our sins are forgiven and everyone is reconciled to God and to each other and there's unity and there's harmony and there's love. 
We're praying for a world where temptation is defeated because sin's power has been broken. We're praying for a world where sin stops ruining our lives and people's lives. We are praying for a world where the enemy behind all this sadness is finally defeated and overthrown, where evil is no more, and then for all eternity, God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory will be manifest and enjoyed forever and ever. Does that sound good to you? That is what we're praying for. That is what we're living for. That's the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. I like what David Garland writes. He says, this is not a request for modest improvement. This is not a request for modest of improvement of conditions here on earth. It is a plea for a total transformation of everything we know. We are asking God to bring an end to and bring about a, a whole new world order. Eden restored, a new Jerusalem descending from heaven and the kingdom of God on earth. And when we pray for it, when we let our hearts ache for this vision, we will be moved to live for it. We will be moved to live for this dream. Just like Dr. King wanted people to close the gap between the present reality and the dream. And Jesus already began this, this, this ministry of closing the gap. And this is why you see Jesus constantly healing, casting out demons, calling out hypocritical leadership, eating with sinners, enjoying time with them, ministering to the poor and downtrodden. He's announcing, he's enacting, he's embodying himself, he's revealing the kingdom of God coming on earth. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about those who are going to inherit the kingdom of God and those who don't. And he says those who inherit the kingdom, they're given the inheritance because they were the ones who were feeding the hungry giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, visiting the sick, and those in prison. Why were they given the kingdom and the others weren't? They were given the kingdom because they were already living in the kingdom. They were already living in the kingdom. They were doing what kingdom of priests do. They were restoring things to the way God intended it to be. They were living for the kingdom of God. They were in the kingdom of God, enacting and embodying the kingdom of God. And friends, this is a hard message, but this is why Jesus said it's hard for us rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because it demands that we respond to the brokenness of the world out of the resources that we have. It demands that we do something about the misfortunes and brokenness of this world, to lift up the poor, to meet their needs, to welcome people into our homes, to give sacrificially again and again until this vision of heaven coming to earth is accomplished. That's why it's hard to, that's why it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. It demands a total sacrifice of our lives. Many people were offended by Dr. King's message, as I said, because it condemned their present reality and demanded sacrifice and I think in a similar way, people were offended and are offended by Jesus' message, by his vision of Jubilee, by his vision of how to use our resources to not store them up on earth, but to store them in heaven, by selling our possessions, by giving to the poor. It's an offensive message to so many. But instead of being offended, instead of wondering why, well, how are they going to use those resources that I give away? Instead of wondering those types of things, so many people around the world, they're actually, 
they're, cap they're captured by the beauty of this vision. They're captured by the beauty of this kingdom come, of heaven coming to earth. And if you could let that happen to you, if you could let yourself be excited and passionate about this kingdom come on earth, then Jesus said the kingdom will be like for you, like someone who discovered treasure in a field. And they went and they sold everything that they had so that they could go buy that field. That's the kingdom. On earth, as it is in heaven, friends, is the best dream that you could give your life to. In fact, it's the only dream, it's the only vision of life really worth living for. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything else you're worrying about, all that will be added to you as well. You'll have everything you need in His kingdom. This is what Jesus wants us to give our lives to. And this prayer helps our cold hearts long for and ache for this vision becoming more of a reality in our world. And might I also say, it helps us wait with patience and hope. Because we look around at this world, we look around at the church, we can get so frustrated, we get cynical, we can feel defeated or depressed when things are not the way that they're supposed to be. You ever felt, you ever felt overwhelmed by all the brokenness? Oh my goodness. But this prayer, this prayer is an acknowledgement, right? That things are not the way they're supposed to be. That this world is not yet fully the kingdom of our God and Christ. This world is not fully the world where God's will is done. There is so much sin and rebellion and brokenness and evil. And so this prayer is an acknowledgement that we're not fully there. And so I think that can help us that the kingdom is not built in a day. The kingdom, it's not fixed just like that. But ultimately, it is something God is going to bring about in His perfect timing when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again. But until that day comes, it will come. But until that day comes, how do we seek the kingdom first? How do we seek the kingdom first? And I would submit to you, at least this morning, by enacting everything that we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. By living the Lord's Prayer. When you lead people to hallow God's name, when you, when you set aside some time in your day to pray and to praise His name, when you prepare a space and a time for people to worship God, when you invite others to come and marvel with you at how good this God is, when you pause at the dinner table with your children being noisy and you say, thank you, God, for every blessing you have given me, when we do these things, the kingdom of God has come among us. When you lead people to surrender to Jesus as King and to do His will, when you boldly take steps of courage to share your faith with that coworker at work, when we make a sacrifice of doing what God wants instead of what we want, however small it might be, the kingdom is enacted. When we give people their daily bread, when we house them, feed them, clothe them, help them, when we help a refugee just get a little bit better at English, when we welcome a child into a Sunday school classroom to give them what they need spiritually, when we share of our resources 
to give to those in need. The kingdom of God is coming in power. The kingdom of God is coming in power. When we reconcile with people, when we forgive them, when we pursue peace and unity and harmony, when, when people who have no business knowing each other otherwise sit around a living room and share a meal and share prayer requests and share their struggles, the kingdom of God is coming in power. When we help people overcome their sin, their brokenness, when we help them confess their sins and be vulnerable and find healing, the kingdom of God is coming in power. I think it's now clear that pursuing this kingdom vision, it's, it, it's amazing, it's wonderful, and it also requires our total commitment to it. And so this is now why I'm coming back to the phrase, thy will be done. Thy will be done. The key story of this prayer is when Jesus prays it himself personally in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Erica read for us just a little bit ago. Jesus was anxious to go to the cross. The Bible says that the, the horror of this reality that he was about to go through caused him to, to sweat drops of blood, which is a very intense physical reaction. You might, we might say in our language today that he was suffering a panic attack. I mean, this is a, a, a real uh, anxiety feeling the Son of God. And he prayed that if there was any other way, God, let, the, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. If, if there was any other way to redeem the world, but then Jesus says, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, the cross was the path for the kingdom of God to come in power. When we strive for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, we too must take the path of the cross. We are joining Jesus in His own prayer that He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about that when we pray this. Think about that. When we think of the gap between the vision of the kingdom of God and our present circumstances, again, we might be overwhelmed by how much work there is to do, and we must make a decision. You can forget the dream, you can ignore the dream, and embrace a life of relative ease and comfort, or you can choose to do what Jesus did to take the path of the cross for the joy set before him, for the salvation and redemption that were on the other side, Jesus said, not my will, your will be done. And so friends, for the dream set before us, may we choose to take up our cross. The kingdom of God is enacted when we choose to die to, our own, to ourselves, to our own small-minded dreams and plans for our lives, and we instead choose the path of the cross. So let the kingdom of God can come in power. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying it as a church and we're praying it as individuals. We are praying that God's kingdom would come through the ministry of this church and through our own lives. We're saying, I'm giving my life to this kingdom vision. Not my will for my life. His will be done. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that God would close this gap between heaven and earth and we're surrender, surrendering our wills to help make it happen. That's what we're praying. One day, friends, don't lose hope. This dream will be fulfilled. 
it will happen. This vision will come to pass by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So take heart, friends. What are we seeing this morning? He's overcome. Jesus said, I've already overcome the world. I've already won. I'm already standing in victory right now. So it's not all up to us. We are involved, but it's not all up to us. So you can give your life to this kingdom confidently and without anxiety and freely because this is the one thing that you can give your life to that's going to last for eternity. That's the one thing you can give your life to and know this is not going to get messed up. Jesus is going to bring this to pass. This is going to happen and we get to participate. So remember that nothing you do in his kingdom is ever in vain. It all is making a difference. Every small act to choose the kingdom dream is part of God's healing and redemption and bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray that God would help us do that.